All right, good morning, Ridge Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. <laughs> I don't know how to respond after that, but man, we're really glad you're here. Chris already shared that, but we're glad you're here. And, and today we're wrapping up this series. We've been on this series for five weeks. Uh, the series of finding our way back to God, this journey back to God for all of us, whether it's our first time we're journeying back or whether we're returning to God again, every one of us is on a journey. And here's the thing at the end of the journey. At the end of this journey, there's always a celebration. And today is all about the celebration. We got the balloons. We'll explain that a little bit later. Their significance, not just in having balloons, although balloons is, they are a symbol of celebration. They're playing a particular role today as we wrap up the series a little bit differently. But before we get there, I want to talk about celebration. You see, I'm convinced, especially as I approach the New Testament, and I kind of, I have a tendency to do this. I have a tendency to look at the New Testament and the response of the early church, and then I look at us in our modern American context and, and say, what is it that we're doing well? What is it we're doing right? And what is it that we're missing? And here's the thing that I see probably more than anything else. We do some things really well. I think we do reverence really well. We walk into church, and everyone kind of feels like, man, why to come in? There's a certain way I should act. And I'm not talking about just this morning Ridgepoint Church, because it's a little bit different, but I'm just talking about Capital C Church. People walk into church, and there's decorum. There's, there's just a way that we're supposed to act and be proper and all that stuff. So I think we do that sometimes really, really well. But I also see in the church... This passion, this, this life change, this, this celebration. And I'm convinced that at some point in, in our history, I'm not even sure when it is, but at some point, they kind of got away from the church. We focused on the reverence side and we missed the, man, we're coming together every week. And every week across the world, we have people whose stories are mirrored by the story of the prodigal son where they were lost and they're being found. And there's supposed to be a celebration at the end of that. Every time the father celebrates his child returning home. And at some point, we, we gave up on celebration. At some point, we turned that over to the world and said, you guys can figure out how to celebrate. And, and I think we as the church should be taking the lead in what it means to celebrate. And we give it over to music, and we give it over to, to sports, and we say, you guys know how to celebrate, and we get that. It's not that we don't know how to celebrate, because if you go to a particular game and your team wins, there's excitement, there's passion. I don't mind getting excited about those things. In fact, when my wife and I were first dating, so this goes back more than 20 years when we were first dating, this was before marriage and, and before kids and responsibility. And, and once kids came, you became broke and don't have the money to go and do some of those things anymore. But when we were young and when we were dating, we used to go out to some different sporting events. I love sports, and I don't think there's anything wrong with sports. And so it's probably more my choice than, than hers. But we used to go out to some sporting events. And, and I remember one game in particular that we went to. Uh, this used to be big about 20 years ago. It's not as big anymore, still around. But, but back then, especially in the Tampa Bay area, arena football was huge. Now, who's been to an arena football game? All right, pretty good. First service, not as many. Uh, but arena football, especially back in the day, the Tampa Bay Storm used to be really, really good. Uh, perennially, they would be in the Arena Bowl championship, or they at least make the playoffs. They had a quarterback by the name of Jay Gruden. Jay is now the head coach of the Washington Redskins. His brother, John Gruden, was, was head coach of the Bucks for a little bit. But he was the quarterback back then. And when he was quarterbacking them, time and time again, they'd at least make the playoffs, if not make the championship game. And so one of the years, we were privileged enough to be able to get tickets to sit in the end zone for the game right before the Arena Bowl championship. So this was like the divisional championship to go to the big game. In the NFL, it would be like the, Super, the game before the Super Bowl, the divisional championship. And so we're at the game. We're sitting in the end zone. 
And, and Tampa Bay was favored to win, but they were down all game long. They're kind of coming back. Arena football is a very high-scoring game. They kept trying to come back. But they were always down all game long by three to five points, maybe a touchdown. Finally, at the end of the game, I think they're down by a point or two. And the other team had the ball with just seconds left. It was fourth down. And here's the thing. In arena football, there's one major difference in that the field goals in arena football are 15 feet tall instead of 10, and they're a lot more narrow. They're about half the width of a regulation uh, field goal in the NFL. And so it's a little bit harder to kick a field goal, but the, but the field is long. It's only 50 yards long. But the neat thing about it is on the sides of the field goal, there's this springy net that if you miss a field goal, the ball will hit the net and bounce back into play, and that ball's live. You can return it. So there's always a returner back. Well, literally, I think there are about four seconds left in the game, and the other team's lining up for the final field goal, which would have iced the game. The game would have been over if they make the field goal. Well, we're sitting in the end zone. The ball's being kicked at. And I remember as, as soon as he kicked the ball, I could see the ball going off to our right, to the kicker's left. It's kind of fading wide left. And I knew he was going to miss it. And it hit the net. As it hit the net, they set up for the return. And our guy received the ball. And he started to run. And because of our unique vantage point, we could actually see holes starting to develop as the blockers turned around and started to block. And then the most improbable thing happened where defeat seemed imminent. This player started dodging all the tacklers down the field, and he finally goes in on the other side and scores a touchdown as time expires and the storm wins to go on to the championship. And it was one of those moments where victory had seemed so improbable just seconds ago. And your team just won. There's 25,000 screaming fans in this arena. And it was one of those moments, if you've ever been at one of those games where you don't care who it is around you, you got to give somebody a high five. Like I'm talking about complete strangers. You're turning around giving everybody. Has anybody ever done that or is it just me? Yeah, like we're just, like we're just going crazy. The whole arena is going crazy. And I'm kind of in the midst of this. Now, mind you, this is before we were married, so she still had a choice in the matter. Uh, so so I, in my excitement, as she knows what's coming, in my excitement, I go and, and I give her a big bear hug and I squeeze her and I pick her up. But I was so excited I forgot to put her down. And I just kind of let go and she fell and almost fell into the seat. And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. And the great thing, two things, the storm won and she stayed with me after that, which was even a bigger win for me. But it's one of those moments where like for me, celebration just took over. Complete strangers like embracing each other and, and hugging. And, and we get it in that environment. But then something happens and we come to church and we feel like, man, I want to do all those things. I want to be excited. But sometimes it can feel a little bit awkward. And tonight, or this, after, this morning, I want to do what, whatever we can to kind of break that ice. I want to do what we can to say, man, as we wrap up the series, talking about this final awakening, there should be cause for celebration. If you haven't been here, let me do a quick recap for us. We're using the story of the prodigal son, the story of his return, as a backdrop to talk about the journey every one of us is on, either to find our way back to God or to find our way back to God again. And I genuinely believe that's all of us. Wherever we're at, we're in the midst of this journey on some level of finding out, God, where am I supposed to be? Why am I not there right now? And when we return, the Father's there every time waiting with open arms, ready to give us an embrace. And so he said for us to get there, there's five awakenings. Quick review, awakening number one we talked about the first week was this awakening to longing. Waking up at some point and realizing life has to be about more than what I'm doing right now. 
The prodigal son in the story, he wakes up and he says, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I know this isn't it. Now, we know along the way he made some some poor choices, and and we're going to deal with that in the next awakening. But here's the thing. When the prodigal wakes up to the the awakening of longing, if he had never had that realization, the restoration that comes with his father never would have happened. So that awakening, though he messed it up, was still important. We wake up at some point and say, God, my life has to be about more than this. God, there has to be passion, there has to be purpose, there has to be something I should be doing. Where we mess up is the second awakening, that awakening to regret. See, we go out and we figure out, my life has to be more than this, and let me go figure it out. And, And we go and do those things, and sometimes, because we have a tendency to try to control things ourselves, we figure it out for ourselves. It's like J.J. picking up Beth and not letting her down when he should have. We mess the whole thing up. And at some point, we awaken to the idea that regret is a powerful awakening that I have to experience. And we said that the first week that regret isn't as much about emotion as it is about motion. It's not about God wanting us to feel guilty or, or bad about ourselves and our identity. We deal with the stuff that we made mistakes on. We regret those things. We deal with them. But the return isn't about guilt or shame. The guilt is about the celebration that is to come. So the second awakening is awakening to regret. The third one is a tough one, awakening to help. Because you and I, we like to be in control. We like to think we can do things ourselves. And yet when we awaken to this one, we realize, I can't do this alone. Like what it's going to take for restoration to take place, I can't do that alone. And whether it's physical relationships we have or as uh, the, the story goes, we've been kind of making this, this spiritual analogy, I can't do these things on myself. So I reach out to the one who offers help, the one that is there for us. That awakening to help. The fourth one, a tough one as well, awakening to love. This idea that no matter how much I screw up, the Father still has a deep love for me. And I wake into that reality, and that's a deep one. But today, the fifth one is awakening to life. When we talk about awakening to life, I said this the first week. I said, when we deal with this topic, it's an exclamation mark at the end. It's saying, listen, this isn't just about the life that we've been going through. It's that I I awoke to a longing that brought a deeper sense of purpose. And once I get to this spot, I embrace a life now that is way bigger than anything I ever imagined. Way broader, way, way more powerful than anything I ever thought. And I've gone through these awakenings, and I get to the last spot in this. I get to the point where there's a genuine celebration taking place. And I say, man, I wake into life now. Now, before we get to the scripture for this morning, we kind of alluded to it last week. But before we get to that, I want to share this. Immediately preceding this story, these these are parables that Jesus is telling. A parable isn't a, a, a real event that took place. It's an earthly story that has like a heavenly meaning to it. There's a divine purpose. So he uses these stories to illustrate simple truths. Immediately prior to the story of the prodigal son, there's a parable of the lost sheep being returned home. There's a parable of the lost coin being returned home. In each of those stories, there's something of value that was lost that has been found. How many have ever done this? You wear a pair of jeans or a pair of shorts, you put maybe a $20 bill in and you forget all about it, and then you're going and doing laundry. And as you're doing laundry, you pull it out of the dryer and you're kind of, or maybe even the next time you put those jeans on, you reach in and there's like a crisp bill and you're just hoping it's like a 20 in there. <laughs> and you're seeing, you know, the feel of cash and you pull it out and there's a $20 bill 
How many of y'all have ever had that experience and felt joy at that moment? Like, those are the good moments. We know what it's like to lose something of value, and when it's found, even if I didn't know it was lost, I get excited about it. Biblical experts tell us that in the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, that both of those things that were lost had extreme value for the people who held it. In fact, for both of them, this very well could have been their life savings, their retirement plan. And so as they go and, and they lost the sheep and the sheep is returned, and as they go and lost the coin and the coin is returned, it's very possible that for them it's much more important than finding $20 in their pocket, that this is a huge deal. And so when we read those stories, their celebration, what was lost, was found. And Jesus uses both of those stories, but then he follows up with a longer story that's much more significant. He says, we all know what it's like to to lose things of value and to find them. That feels really good. But what about when we lose something even more valuable, something that's invaluable, like our son? And that son's returned. He says, I'm going to hold on to the most powerful story till the end. And so he tells a story about the son who is, is selfish and he's greedy and he goes and he does this thing and he wastes his dad's money and he wastes the inheritance and, and the dad had every right when he returned to write him off. But as the son goes through these awakenings and as he begins to rehearse his speech and he comes home, which we dealt with last week, and he recites the speech that he had been kind of going through in his mind and he shares it with his dad, the response of the dad is so much not like I'd expect my response to be. But the response to the dad, and this is where we're looking at today, is the response of the Heavenly Father towards us whenever it is we choose to return. Luke 15, verses 22 and 23 say this. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. He says, listen, it's not the response that you were expecting, but my, my son who is lost has been found, and now we're going to throw a celebration. And so he begins by saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the robe, and we're going to put the robe on his back. We're going to take the ring and put the ring on his finger. We're going to take shoes and put shoes on his feet. Because each of those gifts represented something. They represented things like affirmation and affection. And ultimately, the shoes represent him being restored to sonship. You see, he had returned hoping, when he's wallowing with the pigs, he says, even my father's servants are treated better than I am. If I could just return home, my father would at least take care of me. The thing about their culture is servants didn't wear shoes. They didn't have money for shoes. And so when he returns home, he returns home as a servant would. And the father right away restores him to sonship. And says, you're much more than that. All that you had before, all of that is still yours. So give him the the robe on his back. Give him the ring on his finger. Give him the shoes on his feet. Because my son who is lost has been found. And by the way, along the way, we're going to throw a celebration. We're going to gather family and friends together. We're going to kill the fatty calf. We're going to do all of these things because Jesus wants us to realize, as he tells this powerful illustration, he wants us to celebrate. He wants us to awaken to life because Jesus came and his purpose was all about life. If you have your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 10. 
One of my favorite scriptures, passages in all, in all the Bible. John chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 7. and says this. So Jesus said to them about himself, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Then watch this, verse 10. This might be my favorite uh, verse in all scripture. It says the thief. There's a thief that's out there. And his purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's an enemy out there, and his purpose is to steal from us our hope. To kill our joy. And literally to destroy our lives. And he sets out from the very beginning to do everything he can. His purpose in life is to steal our hope, to kill our joy, and to take our life. Like that's his purpose. But Jesus says, against that, I came, my very purpose in coming, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I came that life is supposed to be a celebration that when my children return home, man, there's a party taking place. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, have it more to the full. And we see that and we think, well, yeah, I I get that. Like one day I know because I believe in Jesus, there's going to be heaven that's going to be like pain-free and it's going to be worry-free and I can't wait for that. And that's what Jesus came for. And that's, that's true. When Jesus said he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly, he wasn't talking just about heaven. But he is talking about that right now, that amidst our struggles, amidst our challenges, amidst the pain of life, that even though I make mistakes, the Father's waiting there with welcome arms, and that we're supposed to be living this life in that abundant life. It's not that life is always going to be easy. It's It's not. But that right now, you and I, we're supposed to be embracing that abundant life. I, I know life can be challenging, it can be difficult. But sometimes we get so focused, we get so busy focusing on our worries and our fears, and here's how hard life is. Have you ever met someone like this where you're having a bad day, and they come up and ask you, hey, how's your day going? And you're like, you want to know? I'll tell you. And we start to share our stories that, man, you know, normally I'm happy and I'm go, uh, happy-go-lucky, all that stuff, but, but today's been really hard. And so we start to tell them about how, how hard our day is, and as soon as you tell them, they have to one-up your story. Have you met people like this? Like, like you're down, you're normally a happy person, and you're like, listen, today was really hard, like, I was driving to work, I got a flat tire, on the way to pull over, I hit a dog, like, like my day was really bad, and like, oh yeah, wait to hear about my day. And they want to like one-up your story, and, and I get it, we have bad days. But sometimes we can be so busy focusing on the reason why things are so bad that we stop living in the abundance of life. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and that might have it more abundantly, that we're supposed to be living that way. The thief comes with the purpose to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but he says, I've come that have life and have it more abundantly. And so going back to the story of the prodigal, the father's there waiting, and he runs. He hikes up his robe, and he starts to run towards his son with his deep, passionate breaks. It says, my son who is lost has been found, and we have come now to celebrate. A couple of things I want to share about celebration. We're going to wrap this up a little bit differently, like I said. A couple of things to share about celebration. Number one is we make our celebrations public. When we get really excited, when we accomplish something 
big. We make our celebrations public. The father turns to his son and he says, I'm so glad you're home. We're about to throw a party and I want to invite everybody. I want to invite family and friends and even an older brother who's mad and jealous. I'm going to invite him to be here because when we accomplish something in our lives, we want to be surrounded by people who share our joy. Now, that being said, every one of us celebrates a little bit differently. For some of us, when it's, it's our big day, maybe it's a graduation, maybe it's a wedding, maybe it just is I had a good day at work or a birthday. For some of us, when we throw a celebration, we're all, our personalities are very different. Some of us, man, when it's my birthday, I want, I want the DJ and the bounce house, and I want everyone to know it's my birthday. There's some people, that's just how you're wired. If that's you, be bold enough to raise your hand and say, yes, when it's my party, I want people to know it's my party. I want to go out and have the finest steak. Like I want, to, I want there to be a celebration with a bunch of people around me. Other people say, listen, I, I want people that appreciate me to be around me, but I don't care for it to be a huge party. I care for a few intimate friends to celebrate together. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. That's fine. But here's the thing. For either one, no matter how we're wired, some like the huge party, others would prefer just to have a few people. But for every one of us, when we make our journey home, it's never done alone. When we make our journey home, it's, it's never done alone. Now, I know when we hear the story of the prodigal son, we think, well, but, but he journeyed home and he was walking by himself, and that's true. But as he was walking on that path, he had a father that had been waiting there and longing for his return, that was praying for his return. He wasn't journeying alone. And there were probably other people who were part of his life back then who said, I'm so glad he's getting things back on track. Even though physically he was going alone, when he was making the journey home, it was not done alone. See, when we celebrate, we celebrate together. There's excitement, there's passion about that. But the second part of the celebration When we, make our when we celebrate, we make our celebrations public. We'll make our appreciation private. Now, this is a, a parable that's, that's being shared. But appreciation is done in private. We, we don't know for sure how the whole story plays out. But I've imagined, like, if, if this story is, is each of our story, I start to wonder, okay, if it is, it is, it is my story, and if, if my appreciation is done in private, how would I respond to this? And here's what I know about my personality, is that if I returned home and the celebration is being thrown in, in my honor, like literally for the moment the prodigal son returns home, there's busyness. He's not expecting his father to respond the way that he did. And the father's there and he embraces him and, and, he, and he hugs on him and there's tears and, and he starts giving him stuff and he says, we're going to throw a party and we're going to take the biggest calf, we're going to have a celebration. And if you've ever been a part of a scene like that, it gets busy real quick. We have to set the festivities, we have to kill the calf, we have to make the food, we have to set a guest list, invite everybody out, and set up tables and chairs, and there's all this stuff that we have to do. If you've ever been part of that scene before, you know that the first time you really can take a breath and enjoy it is maybe towards the middle part of the party. Guests have been greeted, and everyone's exchanged hugs, and, and at some point, if it's me, I take a step away from the party. I go and I look and I embrace the whole scene. And it's only then that I start to appreciate what dad's done for me. It's only then, life is so busy, 
we don't take time to pause and appreciate anymore. And I say that as a pastor, I should know that, and yet I find myself in a season where life is really busy, and, and sometimes in those seasons, we, we don't take time to just stop and, and take a breath and, and to assess, God, look at all you've done. Dad, look at all that you've done for me. Look at the celebration that's planned in my honor. See, in our life, there has to be moments of appreciation, and there has to be moments of, of celebration. And because we don't always do these, either one of these really well, we want to wrap up this series by trying to do both. And here's how we're going to do this. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to begin that prayer time just with a moment of appreciation. Not with any loudness. In fact, I'm not going to say anything at all. I'm going to give you a chance to just appreciate God in your life. To quietly talk to him. God can hear the prayers of your heart. So I'm going to give an extended moment, maybe to an uncomfortable point. Of just giving you a moment to stop and to catch your breath and to say, Dad, I appreciate where I'm at on this journey. And have a moment first of appreciation. And then to follow that up with a moment of celebration. I said this at the beginning, that sometimes we as churches don't have a tendency to do celebration really well. And I'm going to stretch us a little bit outside of my comfort zone as this is how you choose to respond. But see, I grew up in a church where if there was a response during the service, we used to have what we call altar calls where people come down front. And here's what I experienced, and it might have just been me in my heart when I was a teenager or whatever, but, but I remember like people walk down front and, and you kind of felt this, this guilt of I should probably respond, but if I respond, everyone's going to be looking at me saying, wow, they must have done some really bad stuff this week. And like, like I remember dealing with the guilt and the shame, and yet I felt like I have to respond because the pastor's up there about to lead the 10th verse of just as I am if somebody doesn't. See, some of y'all have been there before. You know what that's like. Like they're going to keep going until somebody responds, and then, and then someone makes the response. They come down front, and, and it kind of is, is met with this kind of weird like, I'm excited you made that choice, but I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to be near you because God might strike you dead. Like, like legitimately. It's just, and, and I'm convinced. It's simply not supposed to be that way. And so because of that, because we don't do a lot of pressure and, and guilt and all that stuff, we don't do like the altar calls and invitations and all that stuff on, on a regular basis, especially if you're new to Rich Point. You might not know that, but this isn't something we normally do. But today we wanted it to be about a celebration. And so after we have this moment of appreciation, this quietness, the band's going to be coming up on the stage, and, and I'll, I'll finish out the prayer time, and they're going to lead us in, in a closing song. And as they do it, as a way to celebrate, and here's the thing, if you've made some sort of commitment, decision to follow Christ, a decision to say, man, I need to get my life on track and fix some things, or, or maybe I'm just on this journey back home, we're going to ask you to be bold enough that as the band plays, to come down front and grab one of the balloons. Now, the white balloons, that's for if you made a decision to follow Christ at some point during the series. It's real simple. All you got to do is reach out to the bottom, there's a hook, and just move it off the hook. It'll slide right off the hook. And you take that balloon with you as a symbol of celebration, but as a reminder of the decisions made during this series. That it's supposed to be a celebration. When you walk outside, I know after first service, people saw me, they just let the balloons go and they let them fly. That's what we want you to do. Just as a symbol, man, today it's a celebration 
of what God has done. And a reminder as we leave here that we leave here with that changed life. We've returned home. The Father has embraced us. It begins with a moment of appreciation. And it concludes with a moment of celebration. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we want to just give time for us in the quietness of this moment to just show our appreciation of what you're doing in our lives right now. God, the story of the prodigal is the story of all of us this morning. The truth is, we don't, appreciate, we don't deserve any of this. God, we don't deserve the, the journey home. We don't deserve the embrace. We don't deserve the rewards afterwards. But God, you're there every single time. To give us the robe, to give us the ring, to give us the shoes. To kill the calf in our honor. Because God, that's simply how much you care for us. And so God, as we wrap up this series, a series that, that for me, God, in, in the study and the preparation has, has, and even in the delivery, God, it is, it is changed me, God. It's made me deal with stuff myself. God, as we begin to, to wrap up in this moment, I pray that we've had our moment of reflection and appreciation of who you are and what you've done. But God, I also pray that we have a moment of celebration. As people respond and, and they take a white balloon symbolizing that they made a decision to come to you for the very first time. Or God, if they grab one of the color balloons on the side as the band plays. God, just as a symbol of maybe rededication or committing some part of their life to you that wasn't always already there. Or, or if it's just a symbol of their journey back home. God, I pray that we're not met with shame and, and guilt, but that, God, it's a celebration, not of anything that we've done because we don't deserve any of this. God, you've brought us home. You've delivered us. And, God, I pray that the journey home, we find our identity entirely in you. God, help this moment be a moment of celebration and help as we leave to leave with a reminder that you are God that you're good, and that you're going to be here for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.